Good morning and welcome to Health Watch. I'm Ellen Goldsmith, licensed acupuncturist, your host for this second Monday of the month. Mindfulness and its positive impact on people who practice it has been around for millennia, but you might be hearing more about it in the news these past couple of years. Mindfulness programs first came into the public sphere and consciousness when John Kabat-Zinn, a PhD scientist working at the University of Massachusetts Medical Center in Worcester, began a mindfulness-based stress reduction program to support patients at the hospital who were suffering from intractable pain and stress. And since that time in 1979, and over 35 years of scientific research, the offshoots of that original mindfulness program has reached countless numbers of people, veterans, patients in hospitals, people in prisons, leaders in corporations, workers in corporations, the United States Congress, universities, and schools, improving outcomes for tens and tens of thousands of people. Today, I'm happy to be speaking with Caverly Morgan, who's the founding director of Peace in Schools, located here in Portland, Oregon. In 2014, Peace in Schools launched the first four-credit high school mindfulness course in the nation at Portland's own Wilson High School. Today, their program is also available to high school students at Rosemary Anderson, Lincoln High School, Cleveland High School, and will be going into programs into schools such as Madison, Franklin, and Alliance at Meek in the fall. As well, they work with the Pivot Job Corps, which is a, a program serving youth as well. Caverly leads the Peace in Schools teaching team and develops the secular mindfulness curriculums, working directly with the teens. She's been practicing mindfulness since 1995, including eight years in a monastic setting. She also offers awareness practice for adults through her nonprofit, One House of Peace. Caverly's known for the insight, passion, and humor she brings to her work with students of all ages. Caverly Morgan, welcome to Health Watch. Hi, Ellen. Thank you so much for having me, and good morning to all. <laughs> So how did Peace in Schools come to be, and what was your vision about offering for a four-credit semester-long mindfulness class in public schools? Um, tell us about that. Yeah, Allison Copacino and I were offering a movement and mindfulness after-school program at Wilson. And Brian Chittard, being the visionary that he is, um, the principal of Wilson, saw the value of what we were doing and saw that we were bringing tools of wellness into a population where there was a great need. And he said, you really need to be reaching more of our students. We acknowledged that the only way that was going to happen is if we were during the school day. You've got the kids who play soccer. You've got the kids that need to help mom, the kids who have a job. So he agreed to have us do some demo classes in the gymnasium at Wilson High School, 50 kids every 90 minutes just trying out our mindfulness class. And I think was deeply shocked that instead of 20, 25 teens saying, yeah, we'd forecast for that class, we, we, we want that class, we had over 300 teens say, yes, I want that as an elective credit course. That's fantastic. I, I know it. Uh, my daughter's at Lincoln High School. I know, too, it's an incredibly popular class there. Um, so, you know, which brings me to this fact that teens, they're under so much pressure. In fact, uh, the American Psychological Association in 2014 stated that um, during the school year, teens are the most stressed out group of people in the United States, yes. which is quite shocking. Yes. But um, 
you know, and that the teen's experience of stress is incredibly similar to adults, but they don't have, their brains aren't fully formed yet. So they don't have um, the mechanism really to, to, to deal with it. So, you know, what are the risks that teens are facing and, and how are your programs addressing that? Yeah, thank you. The risks are longer. The, the list of risks is longer than I realized when I started this work. I just had an intuitive calling to this work, but I didn't realize until I was in a school that self-harm is as prevalent as it is. I didn't realize, we hear about bullying, but I didn't realize the subtle forms that it was taking. I hadn't really firsthand witnessed how social media is affecting um, our sense of, or lack of a sense of connectedness with each other. And I certainly had no idea that there was such an epidemic of teenage suicides across this nation. I've only learned about the details of that by being in direct contact with teens who talk about suicidal thoughts. Mm -hmm. So the, the problem is larger than I think the person who's not seeped in our educational system or has teenagers of their own might realize. So the way that we are addressing that is beautiful in that we really focus our curriculum on getting to the root of those issues. You know, we're not in there to um, try to fix the problem, quote unquote, and yet we nourish that which is thirsty. We, you know, we, it's like we, um, for example, the, the place that most of those issues stem from is a deep experience of isolation. And through our curriculum, we we feed that, we resolve that by the way that the teens are able to be in relationship with each other in the class, by the way in which for the first time, these teens truly meet each other, like, you know, essence to essence, like, I'm not holding up an identity, I'm not trying to be part of a, a clique. Um, and then from there, these basic tools that we offer, I say basic, because um, they are tools that you, as someone who's been practicing mindfulness for a long time, are quite familiar with, but they're radical for the average teenager. It's radical, for example, for a teenager to realize, I am not my thoughts. I am not this negative inner critic. I don't have to believe that voice. I can step back from that voice. So we offer really practical tools that give teens a step-by-step -step way to be more free and happier in their lives. So when you talk about getting to the root, I mean, mindfulness is not therapy. Um, so you're not getting into deep kind of therapeutic emotional stuff with people, but this sense of this this root of isolation you're talking about and this connectedness that people are able to experience with each other, but also they're getting to experience it with themselves. And Absolutely. can you talk about that a little bit? Because I think that's really important. Yes. Yeah, for example, our culminating project and this would only be after all the tools that the teen has downloaded during the class. And this is for an entire an semester. An entire semester. So yeah. I see these teens over 75 hours within a semester. That's more than I get to see my adult students. Wow. So after that semester, teens are invited to have a four-hour private retreat in which they utilize the tools from the class and create an experience where their only objective is to befriend themselves. Mm. So for four hours, some teens I work with, that's the first four hours they've ever had without their technology. It's the first four hours where they've just been left to be with themselves. Now, for some teens, that could be kind of daunting if you didn't have tools in your tool belt 
so that you know how to be with yourself during that time. But for these teens, they're completely ripe for it by that point in time. And I, I need to figure out who actually said this, but I heard a quote once of, you know, all the world's problems are created by man's inability to sit alone in a room with himself. Mm-hmm. And that sense of not knowing how to be connected in myself and then therefore connected with other people is what I mean by addressing the root. That's that's where we go. Look at Look at today's political climate and social climate and climate of justice and a lack of justice. The root of these issues has everything to do with our ignorance of, our ignoring of, our shared being, our, our lack of connection. Right. So there are, four, uh, there are four ways that you do this in your programs, that you really empower teens to, to connect. And you do that through um, areas of practice, such as meditation, movement, communication, and compassion. Can you just talk to us a little bit about, you know, what is what is the program like? What are they doing in, in their class? Uh, you don't have to give us the whole semester, but just a kind of an overview of those four areas. Definitely. So each class is 90 minutes long, and I think it's a very um, sustainable model that we have mindful movement at the beginning of the class. Imagine a teenager coming in. They've been asked to be still in all their classes all day long, maybe aside from one PE class. But then they'd come in and, and have some adult saying, now let's meditate. I mean, no way. <laughs> so we, we do mindful movement. It's important. They get in their bodies. They feel their own strength. They can become more flexible. And after 15, 20 minutes of that, we slowly move into a short period of meditation. It would be inaccurate to say that our program is just a meditation class. These teens might be meditating for four or five minutes. That's a lot when you have no stillness in your day. And I don't, I'm not referring to the same kind of stillness of sitting through a math class, of course. So we have a short meditation, and then we, each class has a different mindfulness lesson. So in the beginning of the course, we're simply training teens to know how to direct their attention to the present moment without judgment, to quote John Kabat-Zinn. And then from there, we move into other aspects of what it means to fully embody this experience of being alive and connected with ourselves and others and the world. So we go into um, aspects of the curriculum where we're learning about things like that negative self-talk, the inner critic. Again, as you correctly stated, it's not therapy, but it's an awareness practice. How can I recognize that that inner voice is not me? Now, what how do I work with that inner voice if it's not me? What's my relationship to it? And then that bleeds naturally into we can create a form of a compassionate mentor within. How might I access that compassion in the face of now being able to recognize, oh, the inner critics on the scene? So we move into tools of compassion, self-compassion. Um, compassion for others is sort of near the end of the class because the middle of the class is all about bringing this attention to our own processes. We also look at things like how does the mind create dualistic thinking, the mind of black, white, right, wrong, good, bad, this, that. How do we struggle because we get stuck in that mind? Again, once you can see that, you can let it go. So there's there's the recognition of that that mind. And now I can let it go and know what it means to come back to a place of center. So those are some just tiny examples of basic tools. And then, as I said, we move with these tools in an outward direction. 
what's it like now to truly experience intimacy with my fellow classmates? Might be a simple exercise where we're simply looking in each other's eyes for a moment and watching that negative self-talk that says, oh gosh, are they judging me? Or, you know, experiences that allow us to really experience our connection with each other. So, you know, I was struck, I was looking at your site, and I, I, I came across um, a short video, you know, of students, which is always really wonderful to watch. And there was a young man who um, talked about being diagnosed on the autism spectrum disorder, you know, the autism spectrum disorder, whatever. <laughs> I'm sorry. And um, he, he talked about how helpful it was for him. Yeah. And... Um, just to be with himself. So what I'm hearing is that it's a real it's a place where students can come again and again to practice and to be in a place where you really are talking about letting go of judgment, which is such a powerful thing when you're a teenager from just standing in front of the mirror and going, "Do I look okay today?" to, you know, wondering what people are thinking of you or something like. It's such a hard time. I mean, I remember what it was like. Um so just having that repetition, how is that changing the school culture? How is it changing them? Yeah. So it's changing the teens. Again, I, I can honestly say that it's changing more than I might have even realized. I, I walked into this pro program and knowing there were going to be unseen changes that I would just never get to know about, the ripple effects of how that teen is now communicating with his parents or but I'm seeing much more dramatic results than I even realized that I would. A, a tiny example is that I had a student who was in my class, and um, about a month into it, my co-teacher and I realized that he wasn't enrolled in the class. He wasn't on the list. He had been in the class before, and he was there again. And I, I said to him one day, I said, so it looks like you're not actually enrolled in the class. He said, well, yeah, you know, technically I have another class right now, but this is the safest place I've ever been in my life. Mm. And I, this is where I need to be. And then when we went to his counselor and we said, can we just officially pull him out of economics, which he was no surprise failing because he was always <laughs> in our class. Can we pull him out of that class and just legally enroll him back in this class and give him credit for it? The counselor said, well, yes, but first explain to me why this is so important to you. And this student said, said to the counselor, I'm sober because of this class. I'm sober because of the safety and the community and the support that I receive in this class. And again, we're not, it's not therapy and we're not going through AA tools of any kind. It's just the safety of knowing that you can be yourself you can let go of that voice of judgment, as you're referring to. You can rest in your own beingness without that being problematic. And you can really experience community. That's changing these teenagers' lives. And then, of course, these are teens who are interacting with other teens, interacting with other teachers. And we hear all the time from fellow teachers, especially counselors, that they see dramatic impact in the school culture. I think that's why we have never gone to a school and said, can we please bring our program in? We don't even own, we've, not, we've never designed a brochure to go hand to someone. We've only been responding to other schools saying, we hear there's great value in this. How do we get it too? And how's it impacting the teachers? Other, other staff members in the yeah, school. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious about that. Yeah. I have teachers who tell me that students that they've 
watched move through high school, specifically our classes designed for 10th through 12th graders. So I hear from teachers who are like, oh, I knew that kid as a freshman. And I just see that he's able to be more collected, more, you know, he doesn't lash out at me and other students as much. He's, um, he's able to focus uh, in a way that allows him to be more successful at school, which, no surprise, really boosts his sense of self because he's no longer identifying as a failure. So, and do you, do you um, offer any workshops for teachers or principals? I'm, I'm, I'm curious because, it, you know, they, they notice it and they probably would like to experience it themselves as well. I'm just curious how you do that. We do. We are really excited to be branching out in that way. We, in fact, just partnered with an organization called YogaCom to offer a training, a mindfulness training for educators. And it was wonderful. We, we did it out at Still Meadow Retreat Center, and there were probably about 60 people there. And what, what I loved about that course is not only sharing tools with educators, but that it was filmed and it's now being offered and you can do it through getting credit with PSU. And it's real. there's a real need and hunger for this right now. So if that interests anyone, they can see more at the peaceinschools.org website. That's fantastic. Um, are you de- And you're developing more community partnerships, it sounds like, with, with Portland Public Schools and and other organizations in Portland. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I'd say our biggest problem right now is we're trying to be careful about mission creep. We have people, we, we're um, currently on the cover of Mindful Magazine, and we right. have a, an issue out right now highlighting us, and we get inquiries every day from people who um, want to work with us, hoping we're con- we can bring our program to them. And so we're just having to be really clear, okay, we're not creating a, a elementary school curriculum right now. There are other wonderful elementary school mindfulness curriculums that do exist. Right, like Mindful Schools. Mindful Schools is they a fantastic a organization. Mind Up has a good curriculum. Trish Broderick, Learning to Breathe. I have a lot of wonderful colleagues in this field, and they're all doing fantastic work. And our curriculum is meeting a very specific um, population, not only just high school, but again, because of the depth and duration of the course, it's, it's a unique slice of what is, is being offered if you look at the mindfulness movement at large in the country. So we're trying very hard to stay focused on that and on supporting educators. And alongside that, we're being pretty strategic about places where when people step forward, we might be able to support them. For example, Pivot Job Corps, it's not part of the public school district. Our vision is to go district-wide here first, in particular, so we can be a model for other cities where the city might not be as open to something like mindfulness within the schools. Um, and as we expand in that way, it's um, there are other organizations that we are, we're finding we can serve, we can, we can meet the need. With them. And... Um... What is it about teens that intrigued you? Hmm. I think the draw for me was the recognition that that veil between who a teenager is conditioned to be and who they authentically are is quite thin. And that there's such a ripeness for being able to move through life from an authentic place, to to not 
have to have, you know, I always like to point out as adults, we're pretty crusty. <laughs> you know, we have all of these layers and all this different baggage we might carry, carry around and all these different identities. And, and teens, uh, they're fresher in the process of receiving the download of who they should be, what they're, you know, they're being conditioned to, you know, what the packaging should look like. And so there's such a ripeness and a readiness to embrace practices that show us that we don't have to participate in those activities beyond what we would choose to. So you're talking about activities that may be self-destructive or detrimental or, you know, get in the way of of a person being who they really are. Yeah. And and their own potency and power, really. Absolutely. I mean, in that particular sentence, I was referring to practices that allow us to um, open up to our who we authentically are. But yes, what you're pointing to is absolutely accurate. You know, all the things that get in the way of that. Yeah. A couple of years ago, I was interviewing um, people from uh, Dr. Oz's group, Health Corps. Mm -hmm. And they actually have some programs here in Portland as well. And why he created it was was a really great thing. He said, you know, when the teens get the message, they carry it forward, you know, and they're powerful because... You, you know, you tell all your friends and it, it gets cool, quote unquote. Um, but, you know, it's it's a place where they, they, they're ju- gonna about to jump off into their life, you know, when they graduate yes. high school. So Yeah, we powerful. have a Mindfulness for Teens evening at our location is the Little Church, which is a building up in Northeast Portland, a secular building that we offer mindfulness trainings. And we have, on average, at least 25 teenagers that will show up for these volunteer, after they've been in school all day on a Monday, volunteer evenings to just be part of community. And when we started those Mindfulness for Teens evenings, we we just knew that we wanted the people who finished a semester-long course to still be supported in their practice. What we did not know is that they would tell their friends, their friends would tell their friends, and that we would be drawing from teens all over Portland who are deeply hungry for these kinds of experiences of peace, and that as they collected together, we as a staff said, we're planning on having these oh, every six weeks or so. And you would have thought we there was like a, that a riot was going to begin. They demanded to have gatherings every other week, and that's what we do now. That's fantastic. And they're free and open to the public? They're free and open to the public, and I'm glad you brought that up because it, I would be remiss if I did not say that as a nonprofit, the way that they're free is that we're in a, a constant, beautiful state of fundraising. I say beautiful because it's been wonderful to see the community support that we're receiving. A lot of people get the value of what we're doing, and we're always looking out for folks who would like to support us in a really um, uh, tangible and sustainable way. And so what kind of support are you looking for? I would say right now our biggest need is financial support because we very clearly need to create a training program. Right now, facilitators are adult students of mine who have deep mindfulness practices. They've been practicing over five years. They have thousands of hours of uh, mindfulness practice experience. And it's been easy to turn to people in our own small community and say, would you like to learn to facilitate this curriculum? And then the training is pretty short and can even be somewhat informal because we have a deep history with these teachers. That's 
going to be changing. And the good news is we're going to be able to draw from mindfulness instructors from all over the country because nobody else can offer this kind of work in this moment. I think this really is spreading. So the financial support to create a training program and to expand in a sustainable way and serve all of the schools we're being asked to serve is the real call. So how can people get in touch with you and participate in Peace in Schools? Thank you very much. They could go to the website, www.peaceinschools.org. They could reach out to hello at Peace in Schools. We have a great Facebook page where we're posting different articles about mindfulness, sometimes education-based and sometimes not. So it's wonderful if people want to join that Facebook page. But I'd say most of all, spreading the word. And, you know, do you know someone who uh, is connected to a foundation that might be interested in assisting with this sustainable growing process. Again, we got asked to be in more than three extra schools in the fall. And I, due to my deep commitment to uh, keeping the integrity of what we've created, said, you know, more than three is going to be too much. So we're not in a hurry to expand, but there's a great need. And I think that financial support will help us create the kind of program uh, that will be sustainable. That's great. And, and for parents listening out there, you know, these mindfulness programs uh, in your, uh, your, your child's high school are electives and uh, they can sign up. So if you're interested and want to know more, you can go to those counselors at uh, Wilson, Cleveland, Lincoln, Franklin, Madison, what it, Alliance, Alliance that Meek, Meek, and, and, yeah. and uh, find out more mm-hmm. a, a, about these programs. Kaverly Morgan, I want to thank Mm. you for the great work you're doing for Mm. the teens out there in Portland, Oregon. And it's great that Portland's kind of the vanguard city on this. Um, It is incredible. It it wouldn't, you know, I grew up in Virginia and it might not be happening there. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not sure. But clearly, uh, Portland is a progressive enough and open enough and um, smart enough city to realize that this is important. It is. And also, just FYI out there, if you are know about mindfulness-based stress reduction courses, those courses are 32 hours. These students are getting 75 hours? Yes. I mean, that's tremendous. So it's that's tremendous. really going to be a big part of their lives. So keep up the good work. Mm. Thank you so much. We've Thank been speaking you. with Kaverly Morgan, founder of Peace in Schools. And you can listen to the show on kboo.fm slash healthwatch. I'm Ellen Goldsmith, licensed acupuncturist, your host. See you next month. Thank you.